Isaiah 53. Isaiah 53, beginning in verse 1. Who hath believed our report, and to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? For he shall grow up before him as a tender plant, and as a root out of dry ground. He hath no form nor comeliness, and when we shall see him, there is no beauty that we should desire him. He is despised and rejected of men, a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we esteemed him not. Surely he hath borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we did esteem him stricken, smitten of God, and afflicted. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him, and with his stripes we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way, and the Lord hath laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before her shears is dumb, so he openeth not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment. And who shall declare this generation? For he was cut off out of the land of the living. For the transgression of my people was he stricken. And he made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, because he had done no violence, neither was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He hath put him to grief. When thou shalt make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed, he shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the travail of his soul, and shall be satisfied. By his knowledge shall my righteous servant justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore will I divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he hath poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors, and he bare the sin of many, and made intercession for the transgressors. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for the hymns and psalms we've already sang this morning for the time of prayer and interceding on behalf of others. Lord, we thank you so much for this passage of Scripture. Lord, how it brings us the greatest comfort and hope. Lord, how we're humbled greatly by the great sacrifice that you gave on Calvary, so that we might not only be reconciled to God, but, Lord, that our sins and iniquities and the guilt should be totally and purely taken away. My Father, I pray that this morning you would be merciful to us. Lord, we live in a day and age where we do see a famine of converted souls. Lord, we pray for those this morning amongst us that have not yet believed this report. Lord, there's no manner of words that man can say. There's nothing we can do to persuade a sinner of his need of Christ. We cannot change the leopard spot, nor turn the heart of stone into flesh. Unless you reveal your arm, dear Lord, Father, there's no hope. We pray that this morning by the preaching of the gospel, which is the power of God unto salvation, that you would reveal your Son unto those this morning that know not Christ. 
Lord, I pray that you reveal unto them the guilt and depravity and the danger and evilness of their sins and the coming judgment if they die without Christ. And Lord, as you do that, I pray that you'd show them that you paid it all in their place. And I pray, Lord, they'd flee to thee and embrace your salvation with faith and hope and assurance. Father, we ask that you'd be honored and glorified in all that's said and done. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Ye who think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil or the danger great, here may view its nature rightly. Talking about Calvary. Here its guilt may estimate. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Tis the word of the Lord's anointed, Son of Man and Son of God. Amazing words from this old hymn. We come this morning once again to this 53rd chapter of Isaiah in hopes that the Lord might be pleased to reveal his arm to those who have not yet believed this glorious report. For there is a pressing and urgent matter which accompanies this divine and blessed report of which Isaiah speaks in chapter 53, namely that the day is quickly approaching when it shall be, instead of a divine report of mercy and grace, one of divine judgment and condemnation. For now, as the old hymn clearly declares, for now his wounds will plead for you. But the day is quickly approaching when those same wounds shall plead against you. If you do not allow them by God's grace to plead for you now, they will clearly and loudly and boldly plead against you when you die without Christ. Every wound, every bruise, every stroke of God's judgment Every travailing of his soul shall rise up in judgment against you and condemn you like you've never believed before. For these wounds of which Isaiah speaks, if you die without Christ, shall be your wounds. These bruises, your bruises, these stripes, your stripes, these griefs you shall bear, and these sorrows you shall carry. And it shall be your soul that travails. Yet never, never to the satisfying of God. Are you listening? Never to the satisfying of God. Even though it shall travail for eternity. It shall never satisfy the justice of God. Only one 
offering, one sacrifice could satisfy completely the justice of God. And if He bear not that travail in your place, you shall bear it for eternity and yet never to the satisfaction of God's justice. For if Christ bears them not in your place, then you alone must forever bear them. Because they are your griefs, your sorrows, your transgressions, and your iniquities. They belong to you and I. They're ours. If He does not bear them, then it's only to be expected that we bear them. Yet who hath believed a report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Let us then once again briefly this morning examine this divine report in the light of this old hymn in hopes that the Lord would reveal His arm unto those of you who have not yet believed this report. I so wish and pray that God would show you the urgency of this report this morning, that you would realize, finally realize, the time is against you. If the Lord does not return, time will swiftly carry you out of this life when these wounds shall never be able to plead for you again. You think of sin but lightly, nor suppose the evil great, the evil or danger great. Here may view its nature rightly. Here its guilt may estimate. This is sinful man's first and greatest sin and opposition against this divine report of which Isaiah speaks. And it is abundant in this day and age in which we live. Namely, foolishly believing that your sins are but little or trivial or frivolous. It's no danger. If sinful men knew the danger and evil of their sins, they would waste no time in fleeing to Christ. Think about that for a minute. If they knew the danger and evil of their sins, they would take, they would take no time away from fleeing to Christ. John the Baptist said himself, who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? The wrath of what? The wrath of God upon sin. They think it's trivial. It's not that big of a thing. They believe there's no real threat, no real danger to their soul. Yes, everybody sins. Sin's not that big of a thing. Yes, I'm a sinner. I do bad things. I understand that. But you don't understand its danger and its evil. That's sinful man's greatest sin against this divine report. He does not take his sin seriously. He believes there's no threat to his soul. They think of it but lightly, the hymnist says. 
nor suppose the evil or danger great. I'm attempting something this morning that is impossible for a mortal man to achieve without divine assistance. I cannot convince you of the danger and tragedy and evilness of your sin. I cannot convince you that you have great need of Christ. Only God can do that. So my task this morning is one that I am surely not able or sufficient to do without divine assistance. And therefore, I hope and pray that even Christians this morning are in their hearts praying with me as we preach this message that God would reveal His arm unto those who still don't see that their sin is a great evil and a danger to their eternal soul. Because if they did, they would waste no time in coming to Christ. They would not ponder the question, am I the saved? Am I the elect? Am I the redeemed? They would come to Christ with every soul of their being, with every part of it, and they'd flee to Christ and cry out to God, what must I do to be saved? Many things have contributed to this low view of sin and its danger. Not only the depravity of man itself, but the lust and pleasure which sin offers. Even how so many so-called churches trivialize sin amongst those who profess Christ. We look in this today's world, even when we look in the tragedies that's going on in this world, like I said earlier with this mass shooting and everything that's going on in the world, there are a lot of people wondering and asking, where is God? If God is just and hates sin, why is he allowing all, all these things contribute to the sinner's ignorance and hard-heartedness to say, the sin is no big thing. If sin was such a big thing before God, why does he allow all these tragedies to happen? Where is your just God? Where is this God that said he's going to bring down wrath upon sin? It appears that God is doing nothing in all of these things. All of these things contribute to the hardness of the sinner's heart. And believing sin to be not only trivial, but no evil, no danger. From the very beginning of time, when Satan said to Adam and Eve, or to Eve, you shall not surely die. You shall not surely die. He continues to lie to sinful man. The God of this world blinds their minds that they should not obey the gospel. You shall not die. Satan whispers even today in the hearts and minds and ears of sinners, you shall not die. God is a loving God. He's compassionate. He cares for you. He loves you. You don't have to worry about your sins. You don't have to worry about the evilness of it or the dangers of it. It doesn't matter anymore. Yet Scripture says, the soul that sinneth, it shall die. Listen to me. The soul that sinneth, it shall die. For everyone, again, Scripture in Deuteronomy, for everyone shall die for his own iniquity.
Jeremiah 31, every man shall be put to death for his own sin. And of course, Romans chapter 6, the wages of sin is death. Do you see? Scripture clearly declares that every man shall die for his sin. You can't change what you are. You were born a sinner. It's not what you do. You don't, you're not born and then suddenly sometime in your life you commit a sin. You were born by nature a sinner. You were born at enmity with God. You are a sinner. And scripture declares you must die because you are a sinner. I found that, that the majority of people who are around the doctrines of grace whether it be in a church, they grew up in it, or family members. Over my years as being a passionate Christian, I find a lot of times those people who grow up in that atmosphere have a harder time simply believing this truth than those who's never heard of the doctrines of grace. I believe because we make our children and those around us too intellectual about the things of God. We, we take the simplicity away from it. Too theological for our own good. You're born a sinner. We are all born sinners. And because we are born sinners, we must die for our own iniquity. We must be put to death for our own sin. The wages of us being a sinner is death. Romans chapter 6. Yet sinful man continues to think of sin but lightly. Nor supposes the evil or danger great. It's one of the biggest problems we have in the world today. I'm amazed when I even speak to so-called professing Christians today who think and speak so lightly about sin. They talk about being Christians and going to church, but they have no problem going out and getting drunk and looking at pornography and using curse words and, and living like the devil because they, they think sin is trivial. Churches today, so-called churches, make sin a trivial thing. If Christians are not aware of the danger and evil of sin, how shall we be able to persuade those who are yet lost in sin? When they look at us and we dabble in sin and play with sin and make sin a trivial thing. It's not a trivial thing. If you're here this morning without Christ, you are under the condemnation of God already. And it was nothing you said, nothing you did. It's because of what you are. By nature. You can't change yourself. You can't, you can't make anything different. You can't please God in any form or fashion. You can't do enough good works. You can't do that. Why do you think this whole report here about Christ coming and all these things about wounded for our transgressions and bruised for iniquities, why did he suffer so much if we could have of ourselves, any way, form, or fashion, please God. You can't. If somebody, and I cannot emphasize this enough, as simply as simple as it sounds, as sounds, it is. If Christ does not take your place, if you do not believe that Christ died for your sins, was buried and raised again for your justification, you shall die in your sins, and you will pay for your own iniquity. You must suffer. What Isaiah 53 speaks of, you must suffer all of this on your own, yet never to the satisfying of God's justice. 
and because sinful man thinks sin is so trivial and little. He continues, as Job says, to drink iniquity like water. Job 34.7. He drinks it like water. His taste for sin is insatiable and unquenchable. He's captivated by the power of its pleasure. Knowing not it's only for a season. Hebrews 11. The power behind sin is its pleasure. That's why men love it so much. It feels good. They think it lightly. They see not the evil as great, and so they take pleasure. How can something that's so pleasurable be so bad if it satisfies me? And so he drinks it like water. Never fearing its evil or dangers. Like in Proverbs 5, concerning a strange or an adulterous woman whose lips at first are as drops of honeycomb and her mouth smoother than oil, yet her end is bitter as wormwood and sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death and her steps take hold on hell. So is sin. At first it may seem harmless and even pleasurable. Yet it works like the poison of asps which corrupts and poisons the soul. You want to see the wages of sin? Though the reference is more spiritual than physical, you want to see the wages of sin? Look upon the old men in the room. As we grow older, our bodies begin to grow frail and weak can't fight against the diseases and sickness of the body anymore. That's sin. We grow old because we're sinners. And one day, without Christ, you shall reap the wages of that sin. Well, preacher, I have a long time to live. So thought also the five-year-old that was gunned down. You know, in the day and age in which we live in today, you can't even go into a Walmart without looking over your shoulders. When's the next nut going to show up? Oh, I'm telling you, the media has not helped this at all. They immoralize these people by showing them on the news. And people people used to, when they commit suicide, and I'm not for suicide, they'd go off someplace by themselves and commit suicide. Nowadays, they want to go out with a bang. It's no more I'm going out by myself. I'm going to take somebody with me. You see the evilness of sin? Now, man has always been corrupt, and the evilness of sin has always been present. Yet if you notice in these latter days how it begins to be more abundant, more clear, more open, more revealed, as God's grace begins to recede and reveal unto man what he truly is by nature. Man has always taken pleasure in killing his own. Look at the history of mankind. 
But it seems like it's reached a level of pleasure today like none other generation. Man just seems to have pleasure in killing his neighbor. They think not that evil is sin or sin is evil or great. They think not of the danger of it. We're in Job chapter 20. Job chapter 20. In verse 12 and 14. 12 to 14. Job chapter 20. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, though he hide it under his tongue. This is the sinner. Listen to him. Though wickedness be sweet in his mouth, he likes the taste of it. Though he hide it under his tongue, though he spare it and forsake it not, but keep it still within his mouth. Isn't it amazing? He talks about the mouth. You remember the rich man in hell? What did he say? Did Lazarus bring a drop of water? What? My tongue. There's something there in this text. His mouth under his tongue. Watch verse 14. Yet his meat and his bowels is turned. It is the gall of ass within him. Sinful man carelessly goes through this life never contemplating the evilness of sin or this danger. Always thinking that he has yet time. There's no rush. Yet if you will not believe the divine reports that the evil or danger of sin to be great, then I pray you look upon the sufferings and afflictions of the Savior. You listen to me? If you're not going to believe the divine report or scripture that sin is evil or there's a great danger in sin, I want you to examine more closely in Isaiah 53 the sufferings and afflictions of the Savior. They were immense. They were extreme. They were terrifying. Beyond all man's furthest imagination. If you don't want to believe the report, then I ask and I plead with you to survey the cross of Calvary. Look upon the afflictions of Christ and then tell me there's no evil or danger in sin. That God would allow His only begotten Son who was innocent, perfect, without sin, to suffer so much violence and torment and travailing of the soul. Is sin not grievous and an evil and a threat and a danger to my own soul? If Christ had to suffer that, what must I suffer without Christ? Isaiah 52, verse 14, As many were astonished at thee, his visage was so marred more than any man, and his form more than the sons of men. To go into the physical torments of Christ would be hard for me to explain if you had not seen it yourself. The wickedness of man was greatly portrayed in how they brutally beat Christ 
with the cat of nine tails and punching him and slugging him and all those other things they did to Christ. It was brutal beyond what any man can compare to. He physically suffered tremendously. If you will not believe that sin's evil or danger, be great, then examine, if you will, the nature and guilt of sin, the hymn said, as its punishment and judgment is poured out upon Christ, God showed him no mercy showed him. If there was anybody that God the Father might have shown a little bit of mercy to, do you not think it would have been His only begotten Son? who is perfect and without sin, that He'd show at least a little bit of mercy, but you see God showing no mercy upon Christ. The Lord spoke in the Garden of Eden, a garden in the Garden of Gethsemane, talking about drinking the cup. Well, if you compare Scripture, He's talking about the cup of God's wrath in Psalms. He said, I need to drink this cup. If not, take this cup from me. Thy will be done, yet not mine. The Father allowed him to drink the cup of his wrath to its fullest without one one little sign of mercy. Do you think by denying and rejecting Christ and you die without him that God would be merciful to you in one small little way? Mark the sacrifice appointed. Love how that old hymn says, Mark the sacrifice. Look at the sacrifice. This is no ordinary sacrifice. This is the Lamb of God, the Son of God, the Son of Man. This is God's only begotten Son. Mark the sacrifice appointed. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. Look at Christ. You know, the Old Testament, when they were uh, sinned against God, the Israelites... With the serpents, God told Moses, you make a serpent on a stick and you hold it high. He said, everyone that looks upon that shall be healed. All they had to do was look upon it. All they had to do was look upon it. The simplicity of God's salvation overwhelms me sometimes. And yet we make it so theological that we make it hard for people to enter in. Just look at Christ. The Philippian jailer, when he came out, he said, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved in all your house. The eunuch, you remember? When Philip was sent to him, and the eunuch's reading Isaiah 53. Who's this man speaking about? And Philip, he said, what does hinder me to be baptized? He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ that God has raised him from the dead. That was just simply it. He didn't ask any theological discourse on election or predestination or, or the Calvinism. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus. That's how simple it is. That's how simple it is. Yes, it takes God to open our eyes, but it's simply believing. I like the man that came to Christ. And oh, there's a wonderful sermon in there. When the Lord says, do you believe I can do that? He said, Lord, I believe. Help my unbelief. He struggled. He said, I believe. I believe. I believe. And so do some of you. You've heard it so often in your mind. You're saying, preacher, I, I, I believe, yet I, I feel as though something's hindering me. I believe, yet help my unbelief. Isn't that amazing? You know, the most amazing thing is that everybody in this room this morning that knows not Christ could leave this room this morning with Christ. 
that simple. And yet you refuse to believe the report. Mark the sacrifice appointed. See who bears the awful load. Mark it. See it. Christ said, if you lift me up, I'll draw all men unto myself. I'll draw all men unto... All you got to do is see. All you got to do is look. All you got to do is mark the sacrifice and see. Tis the word, the Lord's anointed Son of Man and Son of God. Wounded for our transgressions. Listen to these words. Place yourself there. Wounded for my transgressions. Bruised for my iniquities. Chastened that I might have peace with God cut off out of the land of the living, that I might live forever, stricken for my transgressions, that I might be reconciled to God. But the deepest stroke that pierced him, oh, and here, here it is, here's the pinnacle of it, the deepest stroke that pierced him was the stroke that justice gave. You see, Isaiah speaks of being wounded and bruised and chastened and stricken physically. And all those things happen. I mean, sometimes you can look at portraits that people attempt to paint of Christ on Calvary, and it's, I don't think they could ever catch what it truly looked like. But I mean, in every form and fashion, he was beaten like no other man. He was marred, Isaiah said, beyond recognition. Beyond recognition. I don't mean merely, as you see a lot of some people, there was a, some beauty to him on Calvary. I'm telling you, when somebody like the Roman soldiers would beat you up, your eyes would not only swell and, swell and closed, he looked brutally beaten on every aspect. Every part of his body was bruised and beaten and broken for sin. This is what he suffered physically. Yet the greatest stroke was not so much the physical as it was the spiritual. That stroke which God... The Father gave him. Yet it pleased the Lord, verse 10, to bruise him. He spoke earlier about he was bruised for our iniquities, but here it says not only was he bruised for our iniquities, but God was pleased to bruise him himself, spiritually. Can you imagine that? We can't. Foolish of me to even ask you. We can't imagine that. He has put him to grief. He carried our, he bore our griefs and carried our sorrows, but the Father Himself, think about that for a minute, if you could, in any way, the Father put Him to grief. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? The spiritual bruising and the spiritual grieving that the Lord put upon Christ was due us. Mine, mine was the transgression and thine the deadly pain. See, preacher, how is all that stuff possible? How is that even? you got to look to Christ. you got to look to Christ. You say, there's got to be something more to that. No, you, you, you got to simply look to Christ. And I believe me, 
dearly beloved, believe me, sinner friend, by looking to Christ, God shall honor his word. Yet until you realize the evilness of sin and the punishment which it brings, you'll never turn to Christ. You'll feel still safe and comfortable in your sins. You've got to see and realize it's your sins. It's on Christ. It was your iniquities. It was your transgressions. He bore your griefs and your sorrows. God grieved him and bruised him. God caused the travailing of the soul all in your place. When you, by faith, can see that, that brings salvation. It pleased the Lord to bruise him. The Lord put him to grief. He made his soul an offering for sin. It was by seeing the travail of his soul, his only begotten Son, Son of Man, and Son of God, that he was satisfied. I want you to. I wish I could impart to you these words. I know the theological discourse of this. I know the theological understanding of this, and it means a lot to those who are truly Christians that God was satisfied. And I wish I could just open up everything that I've learned in all the years about the theological sacrifice of Christ. I really do. He was satisfied. You've got to understand what that means. God, against whom you are enmities, is satisfied. He's satisfied. God is satisfied. He's satisfied. When God looks at his children, he's satisfied. Purely, his law is satisfied. His justice is satisfied. His holiness is satisfied. Everything is satisfied in Christ. He's completely satisfied. What a glorious statement. And how we as God's children should feast upon such a divine truth. And oh, should we bathe ourselves in it and we should meditate upon it and we should spend time with it that God is satisfied in the sufferings of Christ in my place. He's satisfied. I shall never stand before God for my sins nor iniquities. Never shall I stand before God because He's satisfied in Christ. Yet when the sinner suffers in eternity, though his soul, like I said, shall forever be in travail, it shall never satisfy God's justice. But in Christ, he's satisfied. He's satisfied. Isaiah ends with, he bare the sin of many and made intercession for transgressions. He bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. What a glorious Savior we have. I'm telling you, we could preach on Isaiah 53 for the rest of our life and never extinguish all the truths in this chapter. It's monumental. And deserving of our daily meditation and prayers. Say, preacher, I still, there's still something hindering me. There's still something stuck. That's something hindering you. That's something stopping you is your own rejection and your own ignorance. And you need to plead to God. I believe, help my unbelief. I've mentioned this before, but when I was under conviction in Germany after making a vain profession of faith when I was 14, 
I didn't know God was real, so I was just basically honest with him. And I said, God, if you're real, you'll have to show me because I, I don't believe, I don't see, I don't understand. You'll, you'll have to show me. And I really meant that in my heart. It wasn't just something that I said in front of other people. It was late at night, midnight, nobody was there but me and God and stars in heaven. And I said, God, if you don't show me you're real, I'll never believe you. And I meant that. And you know what? God honored his word. And he began to show me. And I'm telling you, on that glorious day on Schäuflenstrasse at my kitchen floor before I went to work, and I prayed for the first time like I'd never prayed before. And I asked God to forgive me. The repentance filled my heart and my soul and my mind. And I'm telling you, the peace of God flooded my heart, and I knew that God was satisfied because of Christ. Man told Felix or told Paul one day, Paul, you were mad. You almost persuaded me to become a Christian. Paul said, Oh, I wish that all that hear my voice were like unto me, except these bonds. Every child of God desires that everyone they meet and tell of Christ would love him as much as they do and know the joy of being forgiven and God being satisfied. And that is our greatest desire this morning for you that we love and know here amongst us. Our greatest desire and our greatest prayer and compassion is that you might come to know Christ as we have come to know Christ. There's nobody more lovelier than Christ. And we look forward to seeing him face to face. Where's the true Christian that would stay any longer in this sin-cursed world than God allows, who doesn't desire to depart and be with Christ? Every time we suffer affliction, heartache, pain, sorrow, even physical, it should draw our hearts and attentions and our affections to the things of eternity. We're not comfortable in this present life. Who wants to stay in this sin-cursed world? I'm anxious to depart and be with Christ. I don't want to stay here. Don't misunderstand me. I don't think anything about suicide, but there's nothing in this world, nothing in this world that I'd want to stay for. And can it be that I should gain an interest in the Savior's blood? It's <laughs> amazing words. That I, a sinner, could gain an interest in Christ's blood, died he for me, who caused his pain, for me, who him to death pursued. Amazing love, how can it be that thou, my God, shouldst die for me? Let me close with this one verse in Galatians, as we also prepare to take partake of the Lord's Supper. Galatians chapter 3. You're this morning able to witness what the Christians call the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, divinely given by Christ himself to the church, that we'd show forth his death till he comes. I want you to listen to what Paul says to the Galatians, and I pray that you would 
Adapt this to yourself, if you know not Christ. O foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? Who hath bewitched you? That you should not obey the truth, before whose eyes Jesus Christ has evidently set forth, been evidently set forth, crucified among you. You say, preacher, they weren't there. A lot of those people weren't there when Christ... What's Paul speaking about? Well, if you look at the context, Paul is referring to the partaking of the Lord's Supper. He's evidently crucified before you. What you witnessed this morning as a lost sinner is Christians partaking of the crucified Christ for our sins. May you not be bewitched this morning, but may you, by God's grace, see the broken body of Christ and his shed blood and see and realize that it was for you and that you would claim that by faith and find rest in Christ. Amen. Died he for me. Mm. May God be merciful to us all. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we pray now that, Lord, you take these few words that we spoke this morning. We pray that, Lord, you'd speak mightily to the hearts and minds of those that know not Christ. Help them, Lord God, to stop thinking of sin but lightly and stop esteeming it of no great evil and danger. But, Lord, help them to see the peril which they stand in, Lord, if they should depart from this present life one heartbeat away. Lord, the wounds of Christ will not plead for them, but against them. Lord, I pray that you'd open up their hearts and their minds, help them to realize, Lord God, that it's by faith through grace, and not of themselves, but it's the gift of God. May you help them to cry out as the man in the Gospels, Lord, I believe, help my unbelief. And then, Lord, I pray that you'd reveal your mercy and grace oh, to sinners for whom you died. Father, we love you and we thank you for this unspeakable gift. Pray now that you'd bless this time as we gather around the Lord's Supper. May we as thy children be reminded of the broken body and the spilled blood of our Savior. And may we be encouraged and strengthened in spirit, hope, and faith. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.